Welcome to the podcast for Green Hill Church. You can find out more information about Green Hill Church and how to take your next step with Jesus online at greenhillchurch.com. This morning we'll be in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. And again, as we've focused in all morning, this idea of the love of God, I'm convinced that this could be the most simple message that I'll ever preach, and yet at the same time, the most um, full, most substantial, most difficult to even wrap our minds around. God's love is indescribable. We use the word love in all types of context. Those of you who've been around me a little bit have maybe heard me say things like this, I love IBC root beer. So much so that we had it at our wedding reception. You'll hear me say, I love chocolate chip cookies. You'll hear me say, I love bluebell peppermint bark ice cream. Now, by the way, if you don't know what that is, you need to find out what that is. I was at the store this week, and this is an ice cream that Bluebell sells that is only during the Christmas season, right? And so there's been several times, now we've gone through several gallons of this already, that we've gone to the store to replenish in it being sold out. And so I was sent on the task of finding it, and I was literally walking through the store with three gallons of it piled up in my hands. I called Nikki. I said, there's only five gallons left. What do you want me to do? She said, get three of them. So there may still be two gallons somewhere. We love it. You'll hear me say, I love to look at Christmas lights during this season. You'll hear me say, I love my wife. I love my daughter. I love my son. You'll hear me say, I might even love my dog. You'll hear me say, I love God. I love my church. I love the Bible. And on and on and on we could go. We use this word love in so many different ways. And here's why. You and I were created to experience and express love. We were. We are consumed with it. We long for it. Every person that's ever walked on this earth has been on a search for it. And at our core, it's something that God wired within us. He created within us. As I was processing and praying through this message, if, if you're like me, if you go to a concordance and you search the word love, it can get overwhelming. There's a lot of options. <laughs> There's a lot of verses in the Bible that deal with the love of God. And as I was processing through this and praying through this, I, did, I came across this verse and I was reminded of what Paul prayed to the Ephesians. It says this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth. And watch this, to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then he goes on and he prays that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Church, we're in a search for love because it is only the love of God that fills us. And because we are searching for love 
in all the wrong places, we find ourselves empty. Paul was beginning to wrap his mind around as he prayed this for the Christians in Ephesus of the magnitude of God's love. When he's praying about this love which goes beyond, surpasses knowledge, that we can grab a hold of the length and the height and the depth and the width of this love. He's on to something that it's indescribable, it's inexpressible, it's beyond us, it's incomprehensible. This is the love that God has and that the love of God has for us. The question I have for us this morning is do you know this love? It's a simple question. Do you know the love of God? Are you grounded in it as Paul prays? Are you rooted in it? Does it grip you? Does it change you? Do you keep going back for more? God's love. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. This is going to be our text this morning. We'll look at John 3 shortly, a little bit later. But for now, I want us to beginning verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4. Read it with me. It says this. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved, but that he, God, loved us. And what did he do? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Would you pray with me? Father, we read your word this morning and we are reminded of your love. But God, I pray that not my words, but your words would come forth and change hearts God, may your love be revealed by you this morning. We pray this in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night, as I was kind of looking back over my sermon and stuff, I, was, I picked up A.W. Tozer's book, Pursuit of God, and I was just kind of looking through it, and I found this quote. It says this. He said, there are today many millions of people who hold right opinions about God. He says so much so that there's probably more now than ever before in the history of the church. Now, I would say that perhaps, I don't know, that with all of the technology and the information and the access to knowledge that we have, that perhaps we may be missing some right opinions in our culture. But I would agree in what Tozer is saying is that collectively we have right opinions about God. We understand Christmas is about God. This is why you go into stores and you hear joy to the world. The Lord has come. This is why you'll see displays of mangers all throughout society. You'll see these things because people have right opinions, right, of who God is and what God has done and what Christmas is about. But then he goes on to say that although we have all these right opinions, he says that this, he says, let me find it. He revealed, God didn't reveal, here it is. There are today many millions of people who hold right opinions, probably more than ever in history. Yet I wonder, this is what he says, he says, yet I wonder if there was ever a time when true spiritual worship was at a lower ebb. In other words, 
we've lost sight of love. And this is, when I was reading this, this is what God reminded me. This is what I kept looking at and missing the quote. God did not reveal his love to give us right opinions about who he is. God revealed his love to enter into relationship with us that we might in turn experience his love, know his love, and be in fellowship and intimate relationship with him. You see, church, we, we have heard all of our life that God is love, have we not? My question for us this morning, though, is, is it getting inside of us? Is it leading us to this understanding of worship and communion and fellowship and intimacy with him? So as we've read 1 John chapter 4, I want to I walk us through four realities, four um, truths, four reminders for us as we hopefully, I, I desire, rediscover this love that God has for us this morning. Reality number one is this, love starts with God. Love starts with God. Now, this is a very basic statement, a very simple statement, but look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Underline that. Love is from God. This is a very simple, very clear, very basic truth, but it's profound. It's essential. It's the very foundation of this. Why is love from God? Well, he goes on, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because why? God is love. Underline that. God is love. This morning, right now, my wife, she's teaching the three-year-olds. If you have a three-year-old child, she's teaching your child this morning. And here's what she's teaching your child, that God is love. That God loves them. And how do we know that? Because Jesus sent, was sent from God to this earth. It's a basic truth that we've learned, that we've heard from the beginning. Now, notice that it doesn't say that God is lovely. Notice it doesn't say that love is God. It's very clear. It's very true. God is love. This is who God is. He's at the very core of who he is. In other words, the very source of love is God. Meaning this, don't miss this, if God isn't, then love isn't. Church, I want you to imagine a world where there is no love. And there is nothing that comes from love. There is nothing that is good because all that is good comes from love. Imagine a world where there is no love, where people do nothing that is loving. It is all evil. It is all sin. It is all wrong. It is nothing but evil. There is no love. Imagine this world. This is a horrific reality. Church, do you understand that we live in a world where we experience love and we experience goodness because God is love and love comes from God. Love exists because God exists. And here's the fascinating thing. As I was processing this, I want you to think about this for a second. Imagine the atheist. Some of you may know someone who doesn't believe that there is a God who would say, there is no God. That very atheist who does loving things, who loves his spouse, who loves her spouse, who loves their child, who loves their grandchild, who loves their neighbor, who even loves people in this world and does charitable things for them in the act of love. Watch this. 
The very act of love that they are doing testifies to the very God that they say does not exist. Why do they love? Why do they express those things? Because God is love, and love comes from God. This is profound. We have love in this world because of God, because he exists. So why, why does this matter? Why, why do we need to start here? Because too often, we as humans, in our selfishness, want things to start with us. We want love to come from us. We try to give love ourselves. We try to express love ourselves. And the problem with that love, while it's a reflective image of God and his love, it is broken. It is a love that fails. It's selfish. It's a love that gives up. Some of you have been hurt by people who you thought cared. Why? Because our love, when we try to do it ourselves, when we try to have it come from ourselves and not from God himself, when we look to ourselves for love, we find it that it fails us. Why? Because we've become disillusioned. We've missed it. What is love? The love that is of God, that comes from God, is described in Scripture that it's patient, it's kind, it's not envious. It does not boast. It has no place for arrogance or rudeness. It is selfless. It is not irritable or resentful. It rejoices at what is good and what is true. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the kind of love that comes from God. Why? Because God is love. So if we're going to experience and express love as God intends us to do, then we need to go back to the very beginning of where it starts. And it starts, as we've said, with God. Now, again, we've heard this term, God is love, or God loves you since we were children. And it's gotten inside of us. But dare I say that perhaps over time, we've become numb to it. We've potentially become cold to it. It's just words that we're familiar with, that we're not experiencing it ourselves, personally. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons why. I think we could look at circumstances around us, and I think perhaps maybe there's some of you in this room who would say, well, because of all of these things that I see that aren't loving in a church, maybe you've been hurt by a church, maybe you've been hurt by Christians. Maybe, you've, maybe you look around and you see the evil in the world and you say, how can God be loving if, if this is what I see? And so we put up these walls around ourselves to say, sure, maybe God is loving, but I don't see it. I don't experience it. Maybe you would even say that, yeah, I've heard God is love all my life, but man, you don't know me. Because of choices you've made in your past, you might say, sure, God is love, but I don't know that he can love me because of what I've done. You see, when we have these perspectives, it's important that we shift away from that and go back to look at who God is, that God is love. It's not rooted in us. It's not rooted in the circumstances. It's just part of who he is. It's a part of him. And so out of that flows, out of him, love comes from him, irregardless of the circumstances, irregardless of what you've done. It's in his nature 
to love. Because love starts with God, watch this, because of that, then God can and does love you. Tozer wrote this as well. He said, nothing God ever does or ever did or ever will do is separate from the love of God, meaning all things that he's ever done in all of history is rooted in his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his love. This is who God is. We need to be reminded that the source of love is God himself. And as Paul says, that you might be filled, if you're ever going to find fulfillment in love and your search for love, if you search anywhere else other than the very source of love, you will find yourself empty. We must go back to God because God is love. So it starts with God. Reality number two is this, that love is magnified through the incarnation. Love is magnified through the incarnation. Look at verse 9. It says, in this, the love of God was made, what? Manifest, underline that, made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. So how was it made manifest? That God sent his only son into the world. Now, let me clarify, what do I mean by this? This word incarnation. What does the word incarnation mean? This is a theological term to describe that God himself became flesh. That God left heaven and he came down to earth and he put on the form of human. He was fully God and fully man. That's an important doctrine for us to know. While he walked on this earth, he took on flesh. It was known as the incarnation. And so in doing so, it says in scripture that he made manifest his love to us. In other words, he magnified it. He, he, he expressed it. He showed it. He made it clear to us in a way that hadn't been clear before. In other words, God's love, because love is from God, love begins with God, love starts with God, it was so full that he couldn't keep it to himself. He said, I'm going to go make it manifest. I'm going to go make it clear so that everyone knows my love. Let me explain it to you this way. A couple of years ago, uh, our family, we went to Colorado for Christmas. We did many different things while we were there, but one of the things we did was we went to the Royal Gorge. We walked across the Royal Gorge Bridge. This is an unbelievable place. Now, this bridge was not built well. Now, it's built well because you can walk across it. And it I mean, it was built well, but what I mean by it wasn't built well is like it's got wooden planks, and they didn't put the planks like right next to each other. So when you're walking across it and you look down, you're looking through the planks down into the gorge and to the river below. And it's just wind blowing. It's, it's just an unbelievable experience. Now this gorge, there's actually, you can ride a tram that's hanging from a cable all the way across it. And the wind's swinging this thing, right? And the, the, the operator, when we went across, said, it's really great when it stops in the middle because of some malfunction. I said, I bet. I bet it does. There's also a zip line across this gorge. It's called a tourist trap. But it's an incredible experience. I did some research, I was, I was curious. This gorge is 1,050 feet deep, just straight down. It's 1,250 feet wide, it's breathtaking. As I started thinking about God's love, I want you to imagine all the people before Jesus was born. As they try to wrap their minds around this understanding that God is love. 
This is their perspective. Wow, God is love. This is breathtaking. This is good. This is magnificent. It's inspiring. There's another place called the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon makes the Royal Gorge look small. I did some research. The Grand Canyon is not 1,250 feet wide. It is 18 miles wide. The Grand Canyon is not 1,050 feet deep. It is just over one mile deep. The Grand Canyon is 277 miles long. You see, what Jesus did when he sent Jesus, when he made Jesus into the form of flesh, he magnified God's love to give us a new reality as to what this love is. All of a sudden, when we experienced the Grand Canyon, the Royal Gorge, we were like, man, we were wrong. We were wrong. And all of a sudden, the love of God is magnified. It is expounded in front of us. It's seen more visible. Now, now here's the beauty. It's not that God's love increased. His love was this big from the beginning. It was just made more clear. It was demonstrated for us. It was made manifest so that we can see it. We can know it. And church, can I just remind you, as Paul said, that we could grasp the height, the depth the width and the breadth of the love of God, the Grand Canyon pales in comparison to the size of God's love for you and for us. That the Grand Canyon itself cannot hold but just a very little, small dab of God's love that was made manifest. Picture this on a still, quiet, silent night. The voice of a baby. The voice of a baby crying out. God himself saying, I want the world to know how much I love them, that I'm not just going to tell them, I'm going to come myself. I'm coming myself. And he shows up and he demonstrates and he makes manifest his love through the incarnation. Consider the story of the birth of Jesus He chooses Mary, a young teenage girl, now an outcast in society because of the fact that she's pregnant yet not married, to carry the Son of God, the Most High. He sends angels to shepherds who are the outcasts, who are the lowliest of all, and he says, I want you to be the first to know, and I want you to be the first at the manger to worship. He comes in a stable with animals. Listen, church, if I'm God, I'm figuring out a way to let the whole world know and to do it in a way that's a lot of pomp and circumstance and red carpet and say, here I am. But he comes in this manner. Why? Why, church? Because he wants the world to know that his love is for everyone, for the outcast, for the downcast, for the hurting, for the lowly, for the ones who would say that I'm not lovable, that I'm not able He wants you to know, church, if you feel unloved, if you feel like you're unworthy, know this, that Jesus Christ came for you. His love is that good. It's that good. Notice what he says, that it was made manifest and then underlined among us. 
he got down and dirty with us. He took on flesh. I was listening to a sermon this week, and this pastor, he said this, and I thought this was great. He said, Jesus Christ, you know what it means that he took on flesh? It means that he had to be burped. He had dirty diapers. He had to be fed. He had to go through all the things that we don't like as humans, right? Like, like on and on and on you could go about all the things that are just horrible about the flesh that we have to carry. Jesus took that on. Why? Because he wanted to demonstrate and make manifest and make very clear, this is how much I love you. I'm coming for you and I'm coming in the form of you so that you would know how much I love you. This is the love of God. He made it manifest among us. Why? Because God's love has an object, and do you know who the object of his, God, of, of his love is? It's you. It's us. It's the people of this world. He wants us to know how much he loves us. And he wasn't content telling. He wanted to show it, to put it right in front of you as himself. So it's magnified through the incarnation. We go on, number three. Love is proven with sacrifice. Love is proven with sacrifice. Notice verse 10. It says, in this is love. Not that we have loved, right? It doesn't start with us. Not that we have loved, but that he loved us. What? And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There is an act, there is a purpose, there is a sending, there is a reason behind it. There is a motive behind this sending of Jesus, and it was sacrifice. One of the things that my parents taught me growing up was this, never tell a girl you love her until you're ready to walk her down an aisle. I was like, okay, all right, that's good. And then I met Nikki. And I fell in love with her. And I remember thinking, mom and dad said I shouldn't tell her I love her, but I really love her. What do I do? And I decided not to tell her I love her. I told her why, but I said, here's what I've learned through this as my parents have taught me. I want you to know my love not because of what I say, but because of the way I treat you and the way I walk with you the way I uphold you and build you up and encourage you so that the day that I do tell you that I love you, there will be no question in your mind whether it's just empty words or not. Love is action. And so there was a day when I saved up my pennies and I bought a ring and I got down on a knee and I said, Nikki, I love you. Will you marry me? Thankfully, she said yes. But sure, don't miss this. Watch this. Until I was willing to sacrifice my life for her and commit my life to her forever till death do us part, it's just empty words. It's just empty words. And I think the reason that God uses marriage as the picture of his love for the church is because it's Love is proven with sacrifice. And this is why Jesus was sent, was to be a sacrifice. Notice what the end result of that sacrifice is in verse 9 at the end. He says, so that why we might live through him. 
He came to give us life. How did he give us life? By being the propitiation for our sins. Now you're like, that word propitiation, Brandon, you've used that in sermons and you keep telling us the meaning and I can never remember it because it's the weirdest word ever. It is, but let me remind us. What does the word propitiation mean? Here's a simple way to understand it. Wrath satisfier. That Jesus is the satisfier of God's wrath. Now you're like, hold up. I thought God was a God of love. Why is there wrath? How can this How can this be that God is both love and wrath? Well, here's the reality of it. God is perfect in all things, and in that, there can be no sin. And anytime that we sin, we sin against God, and we become, as Scripture says, the objects of God's wrath. Well, how does God's love reconcile with that? Let me me walk us through this. Look at Numbers chapter 14, verse 18. The Lord is, listen to this, this is good news, church, slow to anger and abounding Beyond the size of the Grand Canyon, he's abounding in a steadfast love. Now, this is not just love as in I love ice cream. This is love that's rooted in covenant. It's rooted in promise. It's rooted in him and his very character, his very nature, that he is abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means, don't miss this, clear the guilty Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, what does that tell us? That God is being very patient and very gracious and very loving in his kindness to us. But there comes a point where there is punishment for sin. And we go on. We read Psalm chapter 78, verse 38. Yet he, being compassionate, Right, Because he is love, at his DNA, at his core is love. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger. He restrained his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. In other words, again, this is Old Testament. He's being very patient. He's being very patient. His love is abounding. His love is abounding. Church, the fact that we are all still here is a testament of the abounding loving kindness of God. He longs that no one would perish. He's being very patient, giving people time to hear the love of God and to respond in faith for salvation to the love of God. But church, there is a moment in time where God says, my wrath must be satisfied. And this is how, this is, this is the mind-boggling depth of God's love. Watch this. Rather than pouring out his wrath on all of mankind, God in his love says, I'm going to do something. I don't want my people to perish. I'm going after them. I'm sending my son himself in the form of flesh to take on the wrath that all of those people who've rebelled against me deserve. And so Jesus Christ goes onto a cross in the form of man, God himself in the form of man, And the wrath of God comes down upon Jesus in our place. How does the wrath of God and the love of God coincide? Because it is done in both. In other words, his full wrath is poured out in full love upon Jesus instead of us. This is the love of God. And it's proven through the sacrifice of Christ. Listen, notice the order of events. Not that we have loved, but rather that God has loved us. He did this while we were still sinners. He died for us. 
It's not dependent upon what you've done. It's not dependent upon what we've done. It's dependent upon him and his nature and his goodness as a loving God. This is why in John 3.16, it's such good news. For God so what? Love the world. So much so that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How do, you, how, does, how do you get what Jesus did for you? You believe in him, that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross, and you turn from your sins and say, I deserve what he got. But praise be to God that he did it in my place, and you receive the gift of God. And it says that you should not perish but have eternal life. This is good news, church. This is the love of God poured out, and it's poured out for the whole world. And so that brings us to point number four. You ready for it? Love is expressed through Christians. Sure, anybody can express love. But the love that comes from God is only expressed through Christians. Because the love that we express is rooted in the very character and very nature of who God is and what he is about. And what does the John 3.16 say he's about? He is about the world. He is about the world. He is about making sure that the world knows he had came for one and one only purpose to be the propitiation, the very wrath satisfier, the savior of the world that we might have life. And it is our job as Christians to express that love in such a way that when people look at us and experience us, they experience God himself. This is the kind of love that he's given us that we're called to express. Let me ask you a question. What hope does the world have in knowing the love of Christ? You realize it's us. You realize it's the church. This morning as we took up our offering, we gave every single dollar that's given today. We as a church are sending it out. Now, every week when we take up our offering, part of our budget is we give a percentage of our budget to missions. So we're giving to missions all throughout the year. But today we said, and this is beautiful, Lord, you take it. We don't want it. We don't need it. We're trusting you to provide for us. We want to be a part of your mission, your global mission, your work of what you're doing across the world. Let me just remind you, you may know this, you may not. Research tells us that there are 4.7 billion people on the planet who are unreached, meaning that they live in an area where there's less than 2% of Christians around them, meaning that when they walk throughout their day, they will never come across somebody who knows John 3.16, that doesn't know the love of God, that doesn't know anything about what Jesus has done for them, that never will be able to tell them that if they just give their life to Jesus, they can live forever. They are lost. They need people to express the love of God. Church, can we just say that maybe we've gotten cold to that reality? Maybe we need to be woken up to the love that God has for us and realize that we don't need to be selfish with it. That we need to go and express it in such a way that is transforming. That goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. Maybe man, we've been praying as a team that God would raise up children and teenagers from this church that would go out and go forth into the mission field for the glory of God, for the sake of God. Parents, that's difficult to say that I can let go of my children to go live overseas and live in a very difficult place for the sake of the gospel. This is what the love of God compels us to do. Love is proven with sacrifice, isn't it? How does God want to use you to be a part of his global mission? We can give, we can go, we can pray, but he's called us to be a part of it. Church, as we finish up this 
four-week Advent series and move into Christmas next week. Let me just remind you, this candle right here represents the peace that we have in God. This candle reminds us of the joy that we have in God. This candle right here reminds us of the hope that we have in God. But let me tell you, until you know the love of God, you will never experience any of these three right here. You'll never experience these three right here. It starts with knowing how big God's love is for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Right where you are, hear these words. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. Right where you are. In your very circumstance. In your very situation. God made it clear when he sent Jesus. If you were the only person here, he would have sent him for you. God loves you. Have you opened your heart to him? Have you experienced that love? Do you know that love? Is it transforming you? Is it coming out of you? Today, if the Lord is speaking into your heart, would you just respond to him? Maybe you've never given your heart to him for salvation. Jesus wants to be the Lord and Savior of your life. He died on the cross for you. Would you just allow his love to transform you? Say yes to Jesus this morning. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've somewhat grown cold to his love, and you've, it's just been a words on a page, and you've not experienced and known and walked in the fellowship of his love. Be reminded that he loves you, period. There's no if or because that needs to come after it. He loves you. Father, we are grateful for your love. Lord, I pray somehow, someway, you'll take these words that we've mentioned this morning and you would use them by the power of your spirit to just imprint upon our hearts how grand and how great your love is. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Green Hill Church. For more information about Green Hill Church, go to greenhillchurch.com. Thanks for listening.